One of my favorite things about Christmas is the music. From Handel's Messiah to Bing Crosby's White Christmas, this season is accompanied by the best soundtrack of the year. Everyone, of course, has his or her own favorite carols, and every family has their go-to Christmas album that they protect very carefully. Now, when I was growing up, the soundtrack to Christmas was Johnny Mathis' 1958 album, Merry Christmas. Now, since then, you'll be pleased to know my children have expanded my horizons. And Christmas now includes a whole assortment of Nashville-based artists and even a little Justin Bieber on the side. At one point, I tried to introduce Johnny Cash into the mix, and he was promptly vetoed. I still have a copy of Johnny Mathis on vinyl, though, and most nights in December, Christmas music is playing in the background somewhere in the house. You know, as familiar as all the music of Christmas is, I noticed something for the very first time this year. Most carols begin with a strong and declarative statement, joy to the world, or hark, the herald angels sing. But there is one Christmas carol, and only one, as far as I can tell, that begins with a question. One song written for this incredible night invites us to consider the meaning of it all by asking us a question. And I wonder if you figured out which carol this is. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? Who is this child? Why is he here? What does he come for? Those are the questions that the carol asks of us. Now, when Luke tells the story of Jesus' birth, he begins to give us an answer, but it's only a beginning. He spends the next 22 chapters unpacking and explaining the story of this child as he grows to be a man. And what a story it is. The child whose birth we celebrate tonight, he grew up in obscurity 2,000 years ago in a tiny little village northwest of Jerusalem called Nazareth. He was trained as a stonemason and as a carpenter working in his father's shop until he was about 30 years old. But that's when things changed. Jesus of Nazareth began preaching and teaching and performing miracles, the likes of which had never been seen. He gathered a small group of disciples around him and he drew large crowds wherever he taught. Well, eventually, he got sideways with the Jewish elite and with the ruling Romans. And when he was still in his early 30s, he was arrested on trumped-up charges, tried, and then crucified. Now, that should be the end of the story, but it's not. Because three days after his death, his body went missing. He appeared to his disciples. And for several weeks, he met with them, eating, drinking, and teaching them before he disappeared into the heavens, having promised to return. What child is this? Why is he here? What does he come for? These are important questions for us to ask. Several decades after Jesus rose from the dead, about the time that Luke was writing his gospel, another follower of Jesus answered these questions in a short letter to a church in the town of Colossae. 
He did so in one of the most amazing paragraphs in the entire New Testament. In just over a hundred words, Paul tells us who Jesus is and why he came. And we read it just a moment ago. And I want to read it to you again. What child is this? Well, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Who is this child? So much more than a backlit silhouette adorning a Christmas card. He's the source of all things. As Paul explains, by him, All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. In other words, he made everything. What you see and what you can't see. This child is the God who created us. You know, tomorrow morning, NASA is due to launch the James Webb Telescope into space. This telescope, it's a hundred times more powerful than the Hubble. And it will set up shop a million miles away from Earth in an orbit around the sun. It will allow us to see farther than we have ever seen into the dark recesses of space and into the distant past of the universe as it catches the light of stars millions of light years away. You know, nearly every image the Webb telescope will send back to Earth will be one of stars and planets that no human eye has ever seen. No human eye but one. Because every star and planet was called into being by Jesus. What we will soon see for the first time, he saw in his mind's eye and then spoke it into being. Eight times in this paragraph, Paul uses the Greek word that means all or every. In a paragraph this short, the repetition is overwhelmingly redundant. Paul is driving home the point that Jesus is the source of absolutely everything. But you know, he's more than the source. He's also the center of all things. In this incredible paragraph, Paul piles up nine prepositional phrases, one on top of the other, in an effort to explain the nature of Jesus' relationship to what he's made. By him, through him, and for him were all things made, Paul explains. He stands before all things, and in him all things hold together. Through him we are reconciled to God. Those prepositions are there crowding in on each other to make sure that we understand that things make sense only when they're set in relationship to Jesus. The world and everything in it finds its purpose only when Jesus is at the center. 
I love how one writer puts it. What holds the universe together is not an idea or a virtue, but a person, the resurrected Christ. Without him, electrons would not continue to circle nuclei. Gravity would cease to work. The planets would not stay in their orbits. Without Jesus, nothing actually makes sense. What child is this? Paul's assertions are as astonishing as they are all-encompassing. This, the child born this night is the source of all things. He stands at the center of all things, and all things find their meaning and purpose in him and him alone. But why did he come? Why did he come? Was he just showing off, taking a turn as a creature for a few short years to see what it's like? No, he came with one purpose in mind. As Paul explains, he came to reconcile to himself all things by the blood of his cross. And we live in a world that all too often seems bereft of meaning and purpose. It's a world that's spinning out of control. Many of our lives feel this way as well. Though we may exist in, through, and by the will of God, we feel adrift in the universe, untethered, aimless. That's the human condition, and it's what the Bible calls sin. Sin isn't just the occasional bad thing you do. It's actually a state of being. It's what happens when we cut ourselves loose from God and try to take his place at the center of all things. But Jesus came to stop the spinning, to reverse the destruction, to break the curse. He didn't come just to show us that he's the source and center of all things. He came to reconcile us to God by shedding his own blood on the cross as a sacrifice for sin and the means of our redemption. He came to set things right. We ache to make sense of the world around us. We long for our lives to be coherent. We want meaning and purpose, and we find these things only in Jesus. What child is this? Why is he here? What does he come for? This is our creator who took on flesh in order to suffer at the hands of those he made and so redeem us from our sin. This night we celebrate the birth of a child who's the source and center of all things, who gives meaning and purpose to the universe in its entirety, and who is the only means by which we can be reconciled to God. And so the question of this night, what child is this, when it has been answered, leads with urgent necessity to the invitation of this night. Will you come to the manger with shepherds and angels and trust him. Many of you are here this evening because you chose to trust him long ago. And you continue to trust him today. You found the source and the center of all things. And with him, meaning and purpose in the midst of a chaotic world. And to you I say, hold on tight. And rest this night in the peace that comes from your redemption. Some of you are here tonight because you chose this trust long ago as well, but the tether has worn thin. 
you're adrift. And to you I say, come home. When you cut yourself off from the source and center of all things, it's like cutting off gravity. There may be a few moments of novelty, but you can't live for long when there's no up, no down, and no oxygen to fill your lungs. Renew your trust, repent of your sins, and come home. Now for some of you, this is all pretty new. You've observed Christmas, but never completely absorbed it. I wanna invite you to look at this child in a new way, to see him through the eyes of the Apostle Paul and to consider the astonishing claim that Jesus is the source and center of all things and that he alone can give meaning to our lives. He is the only one who can redeem your past, fulfill your present, and provide for your eternal future. See him for who he is and worship him this night. Turns out that the one carol that begins with a question, it asks the most important question of all. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch or keeping? And it answers this question with joy. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. Amen.